0: Jesus said, let it be so now, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, everybody. There's an old expression my dad used to tell me when I was a kid that you, you know this, you've never got a second chance to make a what? First impression. And and, and the reason that is, is that When you meet somebody and you know nothing about them, you base your judgments upon what they say and do. For example, um, we, we meet somebody, how they speak, how they act, whether they pick their teeth at dinner or something, who knows what. These things that they do, they shape our opinions of them. And in fact, these shapings can sometimes be irretrievable. And if you think about it, even in public life, if you're somebody who's a public figure, it goes the same way, I mean, Donald Trump and all the presidents behind him, when they assume the office of the presidency, what's the first thing they do? They do their president's inaugural address, which is simply your first impression, laying out the vision and plan, their vision and plan for the future, their view of the world, casting out what it is the plan happens to be. And to the point I want you to see this morning, and this is big, is that the first things that you say and do define in other people's minds who you are and maybe more importantly, what you plan to do. With that in mind, let's zero in for a second on this gospel lesson. And with that in mind, let's just acknowledge that it's really kind of strange. If the first thing you do colors everything that you're about, then today's gospel is just plain weird because... Jesus' inaugural event, literally. The first thing he does is not some great speech, right? That's what I would do. (laughs) Or uh, like Lincoln or Churchill, you know, he he doesn't sit around and give you some religious mumbo-jumbo and give platitudes to people that have gathered to see him. He's not writing books or, uh, you know, becoming a life coach. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, Yes, spare me. That's not what he does. His inaugural event, and this is a biggie, his inaugural event, the first thing Jesus Christ does in his earthly ministry is he is baptized by John. And what makes that so weird, what makes that weird, is that if Jesus Christ is the incarnate, sinless son of God, then why is he of all people being baptized? I mean, this is actually why John the Baptist sees the logical inconsistency and he says, dude, I didn't say dude, but he says, Jesus, (laughs) Maybe he did say dude, I don't know. But uh, he does not say, Jesus, it's not I that should be baptizing you, but you that should be baptizing me. And, and the implication there is John is saying, man, we got this backwards. We got this backwards, Jesus. I mean, you're the sinless son of God. Why am I baptizing you? And Jesus says something really, really profound, and I'm going to repeat it. His words are, John, let it be so now, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So, what in the world's going on here? Well, I'm going to give you two points and a, an application today in this baptism of John story. First, sorry, the baptism of Jesus. First, why is Jesus baptized in the first place? Secondly, why is his baptism the first thing that he does of all things? And then, and thirdly, how does that apply to you and us collectively as a church? So, so why is Jesus baptized? Point one. Point two, Why is that the first thing he does? And then finally, you know, the most important of all theological questions, so what? What does that mean for you and for us as a church? So, point number one, why? Why is he baptized? Anybody ever wonder this question? I asked in the adult forum this morning, has anybody ever wondered why Jesus is baptized in the first place? And of course, lots of hands go up, and the reason is, is we confuse Jesus' baptism with our own. When I was a little baby, um, my parents brought me to church and I was baptized as a squirming, overactive, easily irritated, self-centered infant. Some people would say, I haven't changed a whole lot. (laughs) But that's not. And the priest said, I baptized you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I have no memory of that. And if you were baptized as a kid, you don't either. But that's actually, just hear this, that's not, that's not, that's not what is happening to Jesus. What Jesus is undergoing at the hands of John, listen, is called a baptism of repentance. Totally different. A baptism of repentance. Listen. A baptism of repentance is a Jewish ritual in which a person admittedly standing in front of a crowd admitted in full view of everybody what their sins were, acknowledged they were sinners and broken, and then making a ritual public act of cleansing would be put into the water and brought back out. That's a baptism of repentance. We don't do that anymore, but they did, and that's what Jesus is doing, a baptism of repentance. And let me just stop there for a second and make an important point. That word repentance, I don't know about you, but if anybody's ever said to you, repent, right? It doesn't sound very inviting. Uh, The word repent this is sort of a little segue. The word repent is the Greek word metanoia, and it means, it doesn't mean you're a bad, filthy animal. It means, I mean, you might be a bad, filthy animal, but that's not what it means. It means that you are going the wrong direction and you need to change. It actually means if you picture driving down the road and somebody holds a sign, says bridge out. That's what the word repent means. It means It means to change direction, And so Jesus is out there making a baptism of repentance, admitting he's done something wrong, and, more importantly, making a deliberate effort to change direction and just do the right thing. But here's the zinger, and that's not a Greek word. What is, here's the, this is why John is just mind baffled. Why is Jesus the sinless son of God? What on earth is he repenting of? I mean, John knows who he is, right? John knows he's the sinless son of God. He knew that from the moment he met him when (laughs) Jesus was a zygote, right? In In Elizabeth's womb, and he leapt for joy. Jesus knows who he is, or John knows who Jesus is. What on earth, listen, what on earth is he repenting of? Here's the key. This is the key to the whole thing. Jesus is not repenting for his own sin, but for yours and mine. Jesus is not repenting for his own sin, brothers. He's repenting for yours and for mine. Let me give you an example. St. Paul. You know about St. Paul, right? St. Paul in Romans chapter 7 famously lays out the problem that every thoughtful human being considers at some point in their life. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 7 verse 22. Paul says, For I, Paul, delight in the law of God, in my inmost self. But I see in my members, his body, another law at war with the law of my mind. What does that all mean? In other words, what Paul's saying is, look, man, I really want to do the right thing. I want to do the right thing. I want to I be honest. I want to be truthful. I love the Lord. I love God. I want to do the right thing. I want to be a good person. You think this too. So do I. All humans do. I had, a, I had a class, this is kind of a funny story. I had a class in graduate school, you know, when I was working on a PhD in psychology, which I never finished. That's another story. But a really cool a class I took in graduate school, was a seminar, and it was called, ready for this? You ready? The title of the class was Adjustment and Competence adjustment and competence. Only an academic could come up with a title of a class like adjustment and competence. Yes, yeah, sign me up. But what was really cool is this very thing I'm talking about. The idea that every person, every person in this room, every human being wants to be a person of importance and meaning and competency and, and success and accomplishment. Every human being wants to to be held in esteem by others. Every human being, including the person in your chair, wants to do the right thing. Paul didn't need to go to adjustment and competence class at North Carolina University to, to learn this. Paul knew it in his own being. He says, I see a war in my own body. I want to do the right thing, but I fail. And then he concludes with this, which I find to be both pathos and joyful. He says... (laughs) Wretched—it's <laughs> a strong word in Greek. Wretched man that I am, who, who, who will free me from this body of death? Not what, not what book should I read by Joel Olstein? Who will free me? Now, lots of people shake their head at Paul. Ah, oh, come on, Paul—he's just—he's just, he's just kind of like that, you know. He's a little. <laughs> somebody once tell me. Uh, I, accused somebody I knew of having the sin of over which means somebody who takes himself too seriously. And people will say Paul takes himself too seriously. He's a perfectionist. He's a type A kind of nonsense. Paul recognizes his own being. He wants to do the right thing and he fails. And lots of us, we go along with that story. We want to try all different ways to try to solve the problem. We, we cover it up, we pretend it's not real. Maybe we drink too much and we spend too much time out doing things we shouldn't be doing to distract ourselves from the reality, the, the Christ of existence, Jordan Peterson would say. But friends, listen, listen, the Bible's clear, man. There is cruelty in saying, I'm okay and you're okay. Because it's not true. And it leaves people stuck. It leaves you stuck. Imprisoned, literally, but this idea of sin. You know, you know there's a, 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 another book I read way back in, uh, called, uh, what's it here, Religious Religious Lifestyles and Mental Health. There's another <laughs> attention grabber. Um, and he says, and, and that book says that basically people try to solve this angst, this, this, this crisis of existence, right? This idea of being broken three ways, and we all do this, right? We, d- we deny it. We deny that what we did was wrong. We spend a lot of time in denial. And denial is not a river in Egypt, as they say, right? We spend a lot of time in denial. We, we suppress it. We try to push it down. We try to stuff it. We rationalize it. This is a biggie. We try to convince ourselves that what we did really isn't all that bad, right? It's my right, after all. But denial and suppression and rationalization, man, the cruelty of those things and if you buy into this, it's cruel to yourself or others. Is that they don't work. We stay stuck. Stuckness, I've talked about before. But there's a solution. And the reason that Jesus is baptized is to take your guilt and your shame and your brokenness, your sin, to take it from you. Maybe, maybe a better way to say that is not to take it from you, but to say that he offers himself in your place for his shoulders to carry what neither you or I can possibly do. And we see this all come to fruition on Good Friday where, as in in Acts and Luke tells us, he was hanged on a tree. Why is that important? Because the Old Testament says, cursed is a man who hangs on a tree. Well, that person who's cursed is Jesus, and he's cursed in your place and in mine. Friends, his baptism, he repents in your place. That's what he's doing at his baptism, identifying with you you personally, not in your success, but in your brokenness and your sin. Why? So we can free you. Because he loves you. And that's why Jesus is baptized. It's not because he's a little kid that needs to be, you know, get, get dunked so his parents can get pictures at the altar. No. He's baptized to stand in your place. And secondly, why is that his inaugural act? Well, this is actually important. Remember what I said? You never get a second chance to make a first impression. Jesus' baptism is his, his inaugural act because Jesus Christ came to earth not to be a moral teacher or a social justice warrior or a political advocate for liberals or conservatives or a spiritual guru. He never wrote any books or a TV channel that says you can have your best life now. Yeah, that was a dig at Joel Osteen. I am Jesus' primary mission, friends, his primary mission is Savior. His name, Yeshua, means God saves. And a Savior saves. That's his job. And Jesus, the Savior, saves you. He will give your life as a ransom in your place if you'll give your life to him, all of it. And that's my third point, then. What is this application? What What does this mean for you Let me read to you verse 43 out of today's epistle. To him, Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So here's the question for you, and this is a daily question. This is not a one and done. Do you accept his offer? Most people don't. But do you really accept that Jesus died in your place and takes that burden from you? Well, do you give it to him? That's another biggie. And the tragedy, you see, is that people hang on to their junk, man. They want to solve it themselves rather than turning it over to the only one that can do it. That's the tragedy of human existence, that we try to solve our own problems rather than letting Jesus take it from us. It's pride. See, we are made in God's image, and that explains why intuitively Intuitively, you and I both know everything's not all right. We all know that. Most people solve that by doing one of two things. Either they, they try to prove themselves, type A, go-getter. That's me. That's my go-to right there, right? And then we beat ourselves up when we're not successful. Or the flip side, people do this too, is they tear others down. Because if I can tear that person down, it makes me feel better. But you know something, man? Neither of those work. You know why? They don't actually solve the problem. Jesus Christ comes to save you. Whether it's personal success that you try to base your meaning on or tearing down others, neither of those will fix it. But Jesus can, and he will. Paul says, again, not what will set me free, what technique but who will set me free? And we now know his name is Jesus. Friends, the decision to trust in him is the most important decision you will ever have in your entire life. It is a daily decision. Trinity Church, the only mission we have, the reason that we exist is not for great music, which we have, or pretty buildings, which we have, or good preaching, or bad preaching, or whatever. The reason we exist, friends, is simple to proclaim and live the glorious freedom that comes with acknowledging that you are a sinner but that Christ died to save you. There's glory and freedom and peace and joy in that because it's true and it's real. And we, find, we say at the very end, we see that Christ gives us the peace that passes all understanding. Let me challenge you today, my brothers and sisters, that we in fact, you in fact, we as a collective and you, as an individual are a steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We the church are the only real hope for humanity because we are the only ones who proclaim the truth. Our mission is the most important mission of any organization that ever existed. Our work is to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to save souls from hell and our mission is real and has eternal consequences. I want to challenge you this morning as we think through this in stewardship season at large, what are we doing? Are we being good stewards? Are we ready to step up, man, and live into this, which God calls you and I to be? Are we ready to take seriously our mission to bring others to Jesus Christ, the Savior of their souls and ours? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Jesus who came. Down from heaven and identifies with us in his baptism, not in our success, but in our failures. We thank you, Lord, for your Son, whom you gave because you love us and you gave to us to save us. Give us the courage to live into this, to accept it, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with boldness and courage. Help us, the people of this church, Trinity Church, to take our faith seriously and be good stewards of the gospel which you've entrusted us in his name we pray amen amen thank you for tuning in to our trinity episcopal church podcast to find out more about the work god is doing through trinity visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on facebook